Thank you, Sonda. That brings the time now to 18 minutes past 12 o'clock. The Minister in the Presidency for Performance Monitoring and Evaluation, as well as Administration, Collins Chabani, has addressed the media on the outcomes of the Cabinet meeting that took place yesterday in Cape Town. Now, to find out what came out of the meeting, we are now joined on the line by the spokesperson of government, Pumla Williams. Pumla, good afternoon to you. Listen, good, good afternoon to the listeners of SAFM. Pumla, can you brief us as to what came out of the Cabinet meeting yesterday? Uh, thank you very much. I think there are quite a number of uh, issues that were discussed at Cabinet. Um, there were a number of, of bills that were approved to be submitted to Parliament. But if I may just pick up a, a, a couple of issues. Firstly, I think the Cabinet wished our statement, former President Nelson Mandela, a speedy recovery and reassured the nation that he is receiving the best medical care. And it's particularly also noted that it is pleased with the fact that the doctors have advised that he's responding well to treatment and it requests the media to uh, provide the family of uh, the former president, Nelson Mandela, the privacy. Uh, and secondly, I think the cabinet also com- commended the uh, report that was released by the Justice Crime and Prevention and Security on the anti-corruption task team work, uh, the report that revealed some of the people that have been arrested and found guilty. Uh, as Cabinet, it further endorsed the commitment of this government in fighting crime and corruption uh, the other issues that were discussed uh, in Cabinet, if I'm to just uh, uh, reflect, the Cabinet also was briefed by the Deputy President of the interaction that he has held in the past week with the religious leaders represented by the South African Council of Churches and the South African uh, Catholic Bishops Conference to deal with their concerns in as far as the Houting Freeway Improvement Project Cabinet reiterated to the government's commitment in addressing the issues of the poor as it relates to the GFIT program. Uh, it reiterated that the public transport has been exempted from actually paying for the e-toll, and it further re-committed and confirmed that the current uh, e-toll program that is in place has already been revisited in terms of the tariffs. The, the tariffs, as they are provided at the moment, have uh, been reduced and also introducing a capped amount, which will also which also address some of the concerns that were raised by a number of people who are going to be using the GFIC, uh, GFIC uh, program. Cabinet also called on the motorists in Houting to register for, uh, for e-tags and to view this project as part of the country's divide, drive to public infrastructure. And some of the bills that were, were, were approved uh, by Cabinet, I think the first one is the Disaster Management Amendment Bill. I think you will re- uh, recall, uh, Elvis, some of the challenges that we have had in the past year as a result of the current Disaster Management Act of 2002, wherein we had uh, challenges of the speedy response to some of the disasters where that were happening, uh, resulting in some of the funds being released too late and, uh, and not being able 
to respond appropriately when disasters struck. This current bill is seeking to address those issues. It seeks to empower some of the municipalities with the right uh, powers and, and, and the speed in terms of releasing the funding. So this bill is going to be going to Parliament for further processing. And I think the other important bill that has been tabled and was approved by Cabinet is the local government municipality property rates. This is also a bill that has been interacted with, with the public for quite a while. Uh, it has uh, got to a point where it is being further processed through the parliamentary processes. Just go back to one of the issues, the e-toll issue. One of your alliance partners, Kusato, wasn't very happy with that. Was there a discussion around that as well as the, the opposition parties? I think the cabinet has always insisted that it has consulted quite widely with all the parties involved. And if you will recall, one of the issues that has always been in a, in a area of concern has been that the current project of housing freeway improvement is actually against the poor. And I think the cabinet has gone quite at length in addressing this area. For instance, all the public transport that is supposed to be serving the poor has been exempted. And the second thing is that even those that are going to be using this freeway, the government has gone as far as revisiting the earlier tariffs that had been put in place. And that consultation, those uh, revised rates came as a result of an extensive consultation that was done uh, with all the stakeholders that had raised uh, um, uh, the, the concern. In fact, the, some of the structures that uh, were raised were, were mentioned, the transit, uh, the freight industry, there has been those discussions with them. The churches, by the way, I should also say that this was not the first consultation with the religious leaders. Uh, there have been prior consultations, but I think the cabinet has also responded with the recent Council of Churches uh, that were saying that they are still unhappy. But government proactively also tried to engage them again in trying to allay their fears that this is for the benefit of the housing and for the benefit of the economy and that we have been sensitive to the fact that it is addressing the issues that everybody who was objecting to it for the poor. I think that that has, has, has happened. Another very important document is the National Development Plan. Was there any discussions on the NDP since it was largely also criticized by, by Kasatu and other stakeholders? I think it was not on the cabinet, this cabinet, but I think if one is to say that it has never been an issue at cabinet, you will recall that the, the document was presented to cabinet a while back and it was adopted by cabinet and it was further presented to parliament. And one of the things that we should also emphasize is that this is a document that was not done, that was not compiled with government alone. It is a document that was consulted widely widely with everybody who had an interest in taking our country forward. So it is a plan and it is a document that has been adopted by cabinet, not in this cabinet, but in the previous uh, cabinet. Mm. Uh, I, I can't remember the, mm. the, the one, but I think it is a, a few cabinets ago mm. that it was uh, uh, adopted. Mm. Now, Pumla, as this is Youth Month and it being the commemoration under the theme uh, Working Together for Youth Development in a Drug-Free South Africa, what is government planning to do in order to contribute to youth development and, of course, a drug-free South Africa? 
Yes, um, it is a youth month, and I think the cabinet has also uh, raised the issue of that. This is a cabinet. Uh, this is the youth month. We are celebrating the youth under the theme of working together for youth development and the drug fruits of South Africa. But importantly, what the cabinet has also reflected is that the issue of the youth. Are, are quite wide, and I think as we reflect in the month of June, we need to also say that youth of today are faced with the challenges of how do we work towards creating more jobs, uh, the issues of fighting HIV and AIDS, and even when we reflect around the issues of drugs, we also want to say the issues of drugs should actually be a fight against the drug lords that continued eroding our young people who are future leaders. I think as we reflect in the month of June, uh, the cabinet has also said, let us take out the fight to the drug dealers who are continuously with no conscience destroying our society because these are the future leaders. And we wanted to say to the young people, let them also join hands and work with everybody in making sure that they, their communities do not have uh, drug lords within their uh, within their midst. And that is the spokesperson. And, and yes, yes, Pumla. Thank you so much. Nice thank you so much for your time, Pumla Williams, the spokesperson of government. And on that note, Gauteng Premier Nomvula Mokonyani said that drug-related crimes should be treated as serious crimes like murder and rape. We'll come back to that story in a short while. But right now, it is 17 minutes past 12. Our top story at this hour, the United Nations has brought 93 cases of misconduct against South African soldiers serving in the peacekeeping mission in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Looking at the markets, gold is trading at $1,386.90 an ounce, platinum at $1,464 an ounce, the rand is trading at 10 rand against the dollar, at 15 rand and 70 cents to the pound, and at 13 rand and 40 cents to the euro. ANC Youth League National Task Team briefed the media about the outcomes of the engagement between the task team and the communities affected by the Toilet Saga in the Western Cape. Now, this follows a demonstration by the residents where they threw human excrement into the, onto the steps of the provincial legislature. Now, for more on the outcomes of the meeting, we're joined on the line by the spokesperson of the ANC Youth League National Task Team, Bandile Masuku. Bandile, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks now, for having us. Now, yesterday you met with the residents of Kailicha. What came out of that meeting? Yes, we, we actually, the two, the two objectives of the meeting that we had, the first, the first objective was to call on them to stop uh, the usage of uh, human excrement as part of their protest, uh, because that, is, that doesn't constitute what we want uh, to, to communicate as part of our protest. Uh, but the second part was that we wanted to show uh, support on their uh, condition that they are facing and also call on the Western Cape government to deliver the essential services as required. Just take us back in terms of this issue. Where does it emanate from? The issue emanates from the toilet uh, bucket system that uh, is found in those areas where initially in Makaza, if you remember, you know, there were toilets that were not even having walls and, 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 and all that. So the, the Western Cape province then introduced a, a bucket system, which they, it's like a modernized uh, bucket system, but it's still the same, and uh, the residents reject that. 
Did you talk to the mayor to find out what uh, they are doing to address this uh, toilet saga? It will be our follow-up meetings uh, with them. Our initial part was to deal with uh, our, uh, uh, our organization and our members who are alleged to be part of the protest and also uh, discuss with the community. I think our next step would be engaging with the, uh, the premier and the mayor of, of Cape Town and Western Cape, respectively. Now, you've requested the community to stop throwing excrement, but what will the task team do to ensure that those are, who are responsible are brought to book that does it again? Remember that we have called on them to stop, and beyond that, if they continue, it will be an issue that will be an internal disciplinary process in the organization. And that was the spokesperson of the ANC Youth League National Task Team, Bandile Masuku. Meanwhile, three Kailicha community members linked to ongoing toilet protests on the Cape Flats are appearing in the Cape Town Magistrates Court on a bail application. Now, for more on this, uh, on the court proceedings, we joined on the line by our reporter, Tandizwa Mao. Tandizwa, good afternoon. Now, the three community leaders, did they appear collectively or separately as uh, they were doing yesterday? Hi, good, good day, Elvis. Uh, there's uh, three of them. If you remember, there were 183 that was arrested, uh, and then they kept uh, three of them. They are appearing today uh, to answer to the charges because the state believes that some of them, are, the three, are, are violent and are also the real leaders, so-called real leaders of the protest. So they are appearing today. Uh, the state uh, read out some of their cases. Apparently, uh, Andy Lelili, who used to be the councillor for the city of Cape Town, the ANC councillor for the city of Cape Town, has some about five outstanding cases against him. Uh, they are recorded in the Kailicha and Harare police stations. Uh, this includes uh, the cases of assault, uh, malicious damage to property. You know, so the state is arguing that he has tendencies to, towards violence, so he must be kept in, in, in prison while the case is being investigated. Also, his two accused also are, are having some outstanding cases against them. So that's what is happening now. The state is arguing that they be kept in jail. As you call me now, the defense, we had defense lawyer, Duncan Corrales, just taken the stand. Uh, saying that uh, uh, they were kind of arrested unfairly because there was no violence when they were, they were arrested at the train station. They had not disturbed any peace. They were just carrying packets of, of human excrement. Allegedly, they were going to drop it at, a, at, the, at Parliament's door. Mm-hmm. So, so the case is, is currently ongoing, so we don't know yet whether they, they will be granted bail or not. We're not sure yet. Uh, uh, the magistrate says he wants to, to wrap up the case today, so it might be a long day because, as far as I understand, also the three accused are going to each take the stand later. Mm-hmm. So it might be a long day before we, we know exactly what's going to happen today. How's the turnout today? Uh, there were not many of the supporters today. You know, yesterday was begged, maybe because most of them were also the accused, so they, they appeared and their applications were processed and then the case was postponed to, to the 2nd of August. So most of them that were here yesterday uh, were the accused themselves and a the few supporters. Today there were not many, there are not many supporters, maybe about 30 or 40 people outside the court.
Mm-hmm. Now, what are the residents saying about all of this? Are they going to continue by causing a stink and the demonstrations, and are they going to find alternative ways to voice their problems? Uh, you know, the NCUF League was on record yesterday saying they will take disciplinary measures against any member of the NCUF League that is found guilty of this. Uh, but when we spoke to the rest of the residents outside, even some of those who appeared before the, the court, they were saying they will continue, they will continue their action. What they say, what is interesting else is that they say this way they will be able to get houses that have, that are flashing, that have got electricity. So they were saying that they will continue. And we don't know how the ANCU fleet is going to treat this so-called defiance because they said it's right in front of them that they will continue disruption, and they will continue to bring these portable toilets to the city of Cape Town, to, in fact, so to Helen Bile and Patricia Delil's offices. And that's our reporter on the scene, Tandizwe Mau from Cape Town, giving us a feedback on the stink being caused in Cape Town. Join NetBank and SAFM in keeping others warm this winter. Support the NetBank SAFM winter campaign by donating a minimum amount of 50 rands into the winter campaign account at a NetBank branch. Or contribute 20 rands by SMSing the word WINTER to 40017. For more information on the campaign, visit netbank.co.za. Make things happen. NetBank, in partnership with SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader, bringing warmth this winter. The Standard Bank Jazz Festival kicks off in Grahamstown on the 27th of June. SAFM is proud once again to be the official radio partner. Join us for 10 days of amazing jazz and blues, featuring Mikasa, Esavan Naidu, and dozens more local and international jazz superstars. Also featuring the 2013 Young Artist Award winner for jazz, Shane Cooper. SAFM will be there to bring you some amazing performances and keep you in the loop with all the backstage action. But there's nothing quite like being there, so book now at CompuTicket and head to Grahamstown for the Standard Bank Jazz Festival. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Midday Live right here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. The acting National Director for Public Prosecutions, Nomnobo Jiba, wants prosecutor Glennis Breitenbach to be dismissed. Now, Jiba filed papers with the Labour Court late yesterday, calling for Breitenbach's head. Last month, Breitenbach was found not guilty on 15 counts of biodisciplinary hearing. A court charge against the anti-graft prosecutor was failing to act impartially uh, when investigating the Kumba, or, um, Kumba Iron Ore Session and Imperial Crown uh, trading mining rights issue because of improper relations with the Session's lawyer, Mike Hellens. But we'll get back to that story in a short while. Meanwhile, Gauteng Premier Nomvula Mokonyani says drug-related crimes should be treated as serious crimes, just like murder and rape. She was speaking at an anti-narcotics business breakfast in Santon, north of Johannesburg. She's warned drug lords who live in upper-class suburbs that they too will be tracked down. The scourge of drug abuse was prioritized after parents in Eldorado Park, south of Johannesburg, wrote a letter to the President Jacob Zuma asking him to intervene in the drug problem in the area. SABC's Tepo Bahani reports. Mukonyane says crimes involving drugs should be treated as a Schedule 6 offence, which is a serious offence ranking with murder and rape. 
She described drug abuse as an evil affecting communities. It should be at that highest level so that, that when punishment is permitted, those people can't go away scot-free with the 10,000 rand. Because for a drug lord or somebody who is in possession of drugs, to pay an amount of 10,000, it actually is nothing. So we as this province, through the Department of Social Development, were championing this course on behalf of the country, and the president has agreed that we need to look at this particular intervention. Darlene James, a resident of Eldorado Park, south of Johannesburg, is one of the parents who wrote to the president asking him to help tackle the drug problem in the area. She says children who abuse drugs are getting younger and younger and some use drugs while pregnant. Her son was addicted to drugs since he was 14 years old. She says it was hell at home. You can't go to work because you wake up in the morning and your blow dry is gone where you come home and household items are being stolen. It was a situation whereby from one school into the next school, out of hospital every year, every year in rehab. I cannot remember when last we spent Christmas together as a family. It's been early hours of the morning threatening me, telling me everyone's going to die in this house. I was also told by the doctors that my son doesn't have long to live because of what the drugs was doing to him. This Mitchell's plain mother from Cape Town, Vanessa Ogle, lost her son Troy, who was an addict five years ago. At the time her son died, he had been clean for three years. She talks about the day Troy died. I went in and I did his monthly shopping, his porridges, his coffee, his chocolates, his chips that he has. I went to pick Fallon up and when we came back, he just didn't answer. And I went in until his room and his clothing was packed out on a bed from his suitcase. But his favorite jacket was put on the pillow and his tablet and hospital cards was next to him. And then I looked into the bathroom and I saw the rope hanging. And we had to kick open the door. I tried to breathe life back into him. It was too late. But I guess he's at peace. Mukanyane has warned drug lords who live in upper class suburbs that they too will be hunted down. We must all be intolerant of anyone who is involved in the area of substance abuse, not only dealing with those that are consuming, but dealing with those that are making money out of it in the leafy suburbs, dealing with those that are pushing in our areas. If we deal with the issues of uh, the environment that we, we live in, know who owns the property and make interventions on the abuse of our own properties. Houghton Police Commissioner Mzondile Petros says the fight against crime, including drugs, is at times compromised by police officers themselves. He says moving a police officer from one station to the other is not a solution. Instead, this is moving the problem elsewhere. He says the best solution is to arrest the cops and put them behind bars. From the 1st of September 2010, just in one province, to the end of April this year, 1,000 police officials have been arrested. More than 300 of those have been dismissed from the service. What it means in practical terms, at Brigadier Station, takes right about 300 police officials. It means three police stations have been closed down in terms of the services that are supposed to be provided. It takes two years to train a police official. But we are actually determined, even if we are left with 10 or 1 police official that is honest, that is how far we want to take the campaign. Head of Crime Line, Yusuf Abramji, has called on all people to blow the whistle on drug dealers. Sapopakan, SABC News, Johannesburg. Well, we're running slightly late. It is 12.31. It's time for the news headline. 
Thank you, Asanda. It is 12.32. Kusatu Affiliated Southern African Clothing and Textile Workers Union, SACTU, has allocated 25 million rand for youth employment development programs across the country. Now, the union says this is their contribution towards the implementation of the Youth Employment Accord signed in on April the 18th, 2013. The initiative includes support for workplace internships, job placements for unemployed graduates, work experience placements in uh, trade unions for unemployed graduates, and it also includes in the program the setting aside of 25% of new employment opportunities in the 100% union-owned clothing factories. 500 university-level bursaries per year and support for numeracy and literacy development also for young learners. Now, for more on this, we joined on the line by the coordinator of the Office of SACTU's General Secretary, Fahmi Abrim. Uh, Fahmi, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Alice, and thanks for the opportunity to come and uh, explain our, our commitment to the Youth Accord. Mm-hmm. Now, will this 25 million rand be rolled out across the country, and how will it uh, assist the youth, and how will they have access to it? Yes, Alice, it will be. Um, uh, the NEC has been very clear that it must be applicable to all areas uh, of South Africa, so it will range from Cape Town to Joburg, Durban, as and more specifically, a special emphasis in the rural areas as well. Mm-hmm. What led to the decision to create this program? I think it's the unions. Uh, the, the union uh, wanted to find a way to express the support for the Youth Accord signed uh, in April this year. And this is our way that we feel that we can concretize the kind of ideals that is expressed in the Youth Accord. Uh, the NEC that has met and is still in currently in session was really clear that as a trade union, we need to take the lead to make sure that everyone supports and, and provides that kind of support to the youth accord that was signed. And, as, and, and we want to take the lead in that regard within the labor movement. How many youth uh, are you expected to benefit from this program? Uh, the numbers are clearly outlined in, in the press release that, we, uh, that we've done. So it is, uh, and we, we were very specific in the way in which we can roll it out. Um, and you'll see these, uh, these commitments on, on, on internships, on industry workplace internships for unemployed graduates. And we know it's a challenge for people who've completed their degrees. They often sit at home uh, for years before being able to find employment. Some of them find employment in areas. Uh, I, I know of a couple of uh, graduates who are currently waiters in restaurants. So they're not finding the opportunity to apply the skills that they've learned through four or five years of studying. So that was the other the, the other area that you identify, identified. The union has got um, its own uh, completely union-owned factories in Durban, uh, Metro, and Hammersdale. And there we make commitments that uh, we will, uh, I think it's something like 25% of new employment opportunities that will be created specifically targeting youth. And also a feasibility study to do to open up a further factory uh, sometime during this year uh, in the Eastern Cape area, which we know has been devastated uh, with unemployment. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, I mean, you'll see these, uh, uh, the, the bursaries that we're also doing into the amount of 5 million. And on average, it's 500, but it fluctuates. It could be perhaps 600 people during the course of, uh, of a year where we assist them with bursary programs. And then to assist uh, um, the youth uh, in preparation for uh, the matric exams, which you know is a very traumatic time for them, um, we offer these winter, these winter schools during the, the mid-year break. We offer classes for them on a range of subjects to help them 
succeed during the matric exams. So how will they access? How will they access this, yeah. uh, the the um, the the program? We've got we've got an eighty five thousand membership across the across the country, and 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 through our structures, we will then alert our members. We will then alert you know the communities uh, uh, and their family of, of of this program that the union is doing. Our we have the infrastructure internally to make sure that the words get spread within the SACTU community and through the SACTU community, through the broader community as well. And, and how, over how long a period will this program operate? It is scheduled to, uh, to operate over the next three years, Alvis. Um, nothing prevents us from trying to, you know, from tweaking it as we see it go along. But this is the kind of commitment that the union has now, that the national executive of the union has now committed to. Thank you so much. That's the coordinator of the Office of SACTU's General Secretary, Fahmi Ibrahim. Now, 12.37. Whitfield's investments together with the Jagersfontein community in the southern Free State have taken De Beers and the Department of Minerals to the Bloemfontein High Court. The community is alleging that De Beers did not have the prospecting rights for the mine and therefore was not the owner of the diamond tailings uh, under the new Mineral and Petroleum Rights Development Act. Now, for more on this, we're joined on the line by the Yahushua community law, community's lawyer, Peter Bardenos. Peter, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Very well, thank you. Can you briefly give us a background on this matter? An application has been issued in the Free State High Court on behalf of our clients, the Yahushua Community Trust, Wheatfield Investments, and Mr. Saki Gerber, against the 14 respondents, including the Department of Mineral Resources, represented by the Minister of um, Mineral Resources, Director General, the regional manager of the Free State. The department has filed a notice to abide to the decision of the Free State High Court and the department does not oppose the relief sought. The other respondents against which the relief are sought and who are opposing the proceedings include the BS Consolidated Mines, Raynate Fund, SCA, FIS, and the Office Contained Development PTY Limited. Our client's case, as set out in the court papers, indicate that the BS, Raynate, and the Office Contained Developments are mining on the mining dumps at the Office Mountain Free State without legal authority under the Mineral and Petroleum Resources Development Act and lack the lawful authority to mine or remove or sell diamonds from the mining operations that has been generated returns estimated at 3.2 to 5.2 billion rand since mid-2011. Notwithstanding reports of these activities, the Department of Mineral Resources Nothing was done to stop this illegal mining on the Yakasfontein mine dumps. Our clients are seeking relief against the Department of Mineral Resources, the Beers, Reinet, and the Yakasfontein Development, among others, for interdicts review of the application, uh, sorry, the administration action and declaratory orders, including in respect of the failure to grant prospecting rights to the Yakasfontein Community Trust, our clients. The reasons include that all requirements in terms of the Mineral and Petroleum Resources Development Act, are not met. There are no other legal rights held by others in law under the Minerals and Petroleum Act that could prevent the grant of this right. Various interdicts are sought aimed to stop the mining by the Rupert's Raynet and the mining company Yagesfontein Development. The reasons for such relief include that Raynet, the Beers, hold no rights or other mineral rights under the Minerals and Petroleum Resources Development Act and are in breach of the Act. Many other laws, including relating to the environmental use of water and dealing in diamonds, illegally mined. So did the mine... 
did the mine, does the mine belong to the community, to the Jagersfontein community? The Jagersfontein community trust. Mm-hmm. So not Jagersfontein development, which are limited. So it belongs to the Jagersfontein so, so community right, trust. That's correct. Rainet and the BS has no valid prospecting right on the dams. And they weren't given rights by the community, perhaps? By the trust? No, definitely not. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. So, so, and, and what does... Yes, carry on. Since the issue of the papers, my time yesterday, on the 12th of June, established that despite the pending dispute, including in relation to the Yakus Contain historical open pit mine, the BS had unilaterally approached the Heritage Authority, Sahara, to close the internationally known heritage site without consulting the community. The Yakus Contain community and our clients were completely ignored despite the pending dispute. The BS and the Yakus Contain development had already demolished or damaged buildings with significant heritage status in 2011 without permission to do so at that time or at all. Mm. When the decision by the Heritage Authority was taken on the 3rd of June 2013, neither the PS, Raynet, or Yahoo Fontaine Development appeared to have advised the Heritage Authority of our client's interest in the matter, notwithstanding the pending relief sought in the Free State High Court some two weeks after our client filed, issued, and served the papers on the aforesaid. The Heritage Authority did not notify the Arcus Fontaine community or our clients as interested parties, despite our numerous demands for action uh, to several mm-hmm. government departments. Peter, now what do you expect from this court case? We basically want the interdict prohibiting them from proceeding with mining operations, prospecting operations, and any related activities without the necessary legal authority under the Minerals and Petroleum Resources Development Act. It's basically an interdict stopping them to do what they are currently doing. And what is the Department of Minerals saying about this? At this stage, they say that they abide to the court's decision, so they leave it in the court's hands. And that was Jagersfontein Community's uh, lawyer, Peter Bardnors, and the Beers refused to respond to these allegations and said uh, they will be releasing a statement. It is now 12.43. The Department of Trade and Industry congratulates South Africa and the business processing and outsourcing sector for winning the European Outsourcing Association Offshoring Destination of the Year Award. The offshore segment of the BPO market in South Africa has so far created approximately 18,500 jobs. The DTI offers the business processing services incentive to qualifying enterprises in the sector. For more information, go to thedti.gov.za. South Africa, inspiring new ways. If you're a small business owner, put a pencil in your teeth and bite down hard. It'll help ease the pain of this rather sensitive subject. It's called employee benefits, the thing 9 out of 10 small businesses don't have. The thing that can make your business more attractive to your staff. Yes, that thing. Now, slowly dislodge the pencil and write this down. Old Mutual Corporate, we love what you hate, and we're really good at it because we have the greatest experience, the biggest team, and the most comprehensive retirement fund and group insurance products. Old Mutual Corporate, the way small business gets to do great things. SMS Superfund to 3750. SMSs are free of charge. Old Mutual is a licensed financial services provider. Good service. It's not just a promise made to seal the deal. It's a service provider's obligation. It's your consumer right. And when it's not delivered, it's personal. Speak Out, the show that stands up for your consumer right and protects you. To have your say, email us on speakout at sabc.co.za or fax 086 
0543-563-3745. Speak out with me, Tingana Mokebe, every Thursday night at half past nine, only on SABC2. Now remember, you can engage with us on that number, 34701. That is the SMS line. Start your SMS with a word, weekend, on any issue that you have uh, this morning. You have you heard a number of the stories that we covered here this morning, uh, the stink that's being caused in Cape Town, as well as the mining issue. What's on your mind uh, this afternoon? Uh, let's get your thoughts on that number, 34701. That's the uh, SMS line. Start your SMS with the word, weedy, uh, with the word weekend. Now, on the uh, SMS line uh, here... Let's uh, just go to this one. Um, this one from Ivan Kaya and friends. Uh, he says, I love the book reading. Okay, that was just before our show. This one says, the media has forgotten about uh, their responsibility, but only concerned about their rights. Making money is at the center of all activities. Uh, we'll come back uh, to some of those uh, comments in a short while, but right now, let's take a break. Today's JSE report is brought to you by Telcom Business. Convergence. One solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. It is now 12.45. As usual, we cross to the dealer room at Sussman Securities with Sudhir Singh to find out what's happening on the market. Sudhir, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Elvis. How are we looking today? Well, global markets continue their plans this morning, uh, this time on the back of uh, the World Bank cutting its global growth forecast amid concern of uh, quantitative easing being tapered off. Over on Wall Street, uh, U.S. stocks fell sharply this morning, tracking heavy losses across Asia and Europe as uncertainty over the U.S. Fed's next move continues to take its toll on markets. Locally, the JSE has followed its global counterparts lower as investors are again in the risk-off mood. The rent continues to trade on the back foot despite uh, the bond market seeing an almost 2 billion rent of flows into the local government bonds yesterday. Taking a look at our local indices, we've got the gold index, which is down just over 3%. Resource 10 index is down almost 1%. Industrial 25 index is down just over 1%. The financial index is down also just over 1%. And overall, the market is down around 414 points, or 1%, 39,353. Now, which stocks are on the move today? On the upside, we do have ShopRite, which is up just over 2% at 165 rands and 80 cents. Truett is up almost 2% at 77 rands and 90 cents. MTN is up just over 1% at 171 rands and 50 cents. Woolworths is up 0,4% at 61 rands and 90 cents. And on the downside, we have Anglo Gold, which is down just uh, around 3.5% at 161 rands and 10 cents. Richmond is down almost 3% at 86 rands and 40 cents. SAB Miller is down just over 2% at 491 rands and 60 cents. And lastly, we have Aspen, which is down just over a percent at 186 rands and 70 cents. Can you give us the latest indicators there, Sudhir? Sure. Currently, we have gold, which is trading at $1,386.90 an ounce. Platinum is at $1,464 an ounce. Brent crude is at $103 per barrel. And finally, we have the rand, which is trading at 10 rand to the dollar. 15 rand 70 cents to the pound and 13 rand 40 cents to the euro. That's it for me, Elvis. That was Sudhir Singh from the dealer room at Sussman Securities. Bring the time now to 12.48. This feature was brought to you by Telcom Business. Talk to Telcom Business about getting you on the journey to convergence with a tailor-made solution. Telcom Business.
Marilyn, please call and cancel my exercise therapy session with a calisthenics posture gait and lower lumbar vertebra specialist. The chiropractor, sir? Yes, that's the word I was looking for. Using several words when one will get the job done doesn't make sense. Neither does using several providers when you can get voice, mobile, fixed, data, cloud and IT from one service provider. Call 10217, click forward slash business or visit a Telcom Direct store and get a tailor-made solution. Convergence, one solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. Staying in the mining sector, workforce and labor relations are the major risk facing platinum houses in South Africa, led by capital risk. Now this is according to the Ernest & Young annual report on business risk faced by mining and metal companies globally. Morafi Tabane has more. Capital allocation and access to capital rocketed to the top of risks affecting mining companies worldwide. The report says this threatens the long-term growth prospects of larger mines and puts cash-strapped junior miners under threat of survival. Figures Water and Young's mining and metals leader for Africa explains. We, we've seen globally there's been a slowdown in the number of new projects and the allocation of capital to new projects. We've also seen a slowdown in availability of capital. And that's why the capital dilemma of allocating capital as well as accessing capital has uh, jumped all the way from number eight in the prior year to number one in this year. Together with the twin capital dilemma is the issue of margin protection and And the reason why those two have crept up all the way to number one and two is as a result of the uh, softening of the commodity prices. What makes the situation worse for South Africa is that low productivity as a result of the labor unrest has increased. What needs to be understood about labor relations in South Africa is that the two key industries within our gold mining sector is gold mining and platinum mining industry. And both those industries are heavily dependent on on labor. If you contrast that with the rest of the world, these days we're seeing mines being operated with a few hundred people as opposed to the South African scenario where it's literally thousands of workers. And I think that creates the first difference between the global mining environment and the South African mining environment. Highlighted in the report is that a South African needs to diversify what the study calls its commodity mix. Put again. If you consider where the global mining industry is going, there's a very big focus around bulk commodities and energy commodities. So what I mean by that is the steel-producing commodities such as iron ore, coking coal, aluminium, zinc, copper, and so forth, as well as thermal coal for energy. The focus in the South African mining industry is very much around precious metals. And I think this affords us an opportunity to really take a hard look at how do we diversify our commodity mix? How do we allow for the gold and platinum industry to be relieved of some of the pressure that they are experiencing by introducing different commodities so that that can counteract some of the pressures that the precious metal industries are facing at the moment? This year, the study included a new entrant in the top 10 list of risks, which is the threat of substitutes. This is prominent in the U.S. where the shale gas boom and gas for coal substitution. While this is not a factor for South Africa at present, expectations are that it may feature prominently in the coming years. Morafi Tabani, SABC News, Johannesburg. It is now 12.52. The Marikana Commission of Inquiry has heard how after the situation worsened at Marikana, 
Northwest Deputy Police Commissioner William Pemper persuaded uh, the NUM and AMCO leadership to convince the protesters to hand in their weapons voluntarily. Mpemper says that protesters allegedly robbed some security guards and police of their firearms and two-way radios two days before the August 16 incident, which claimed the lives of 34 mine workers. Now, for more on this, we joined on, on, on the line by our reporters, Mpiwe, uh, Spiwe Mkise. Uh, Spiwe, good afternoon. And what else has uh, uh, come out of the Mpemper's uh, testimony today? Good day, Elvis. Well, uh, William Pember has recalled uh, events that uh, took place on the 15th of August where he told the commission that the union leaders were asked to persuade the protesters there in Marikana to lay down down their weapons. He says at at this point the situation was getting worse and worse, and that is when um, Joseph Matunjo, the the leader for AMCO, assured him that the protesters would do so, but not at at, at, at the same time. He still had to persuade them, so they were gonna. He was sure that they were gonna do that. They were gonna lay down their, their, their weapons the following morning, which was on the 16th. And we know that we saw on the 16th the 34 miners uh, getting killed by uh, shot and killed by the police. So Mbembe says at that at that point on the 15th, the mood of the protesters had changed for worse, and there were fears that they might harm innocent bystanders. He was he was basically uh, stressing on the on the point that there were there were fears for loss of life, and he says at the time uh, people were being attacked, some were maimed, and others were killed by these protesters just for going to work, and he says there was always the danger and and the risk of further killings because uh, because the other thing was that lawnmen and the mine workers were not were continued to refuse to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Now, Mpempe said that uh, after learning from intelligence that the mine workers hid firearms underneath their blankets, uh, he prepared for the union leaders to take that stand. Uh, did he take uh, action towards that effect? Well, he said at that point, that was after he tried to negotiate with his mine workers, who at some point he thought that they were listening to him. And there was a point where they spoke in Fanagalo and tried to get their interpreter. But having noticed that, you know what, the situation was getting worse, and all his his, his, his plans were in vain, he then persuaded this Enum and Amku leadership to convince these protesters to hand in their weapons, their weapons voluntarily, because he saw that his plans were failing. And at the time, he also says that he had received information that the protesters allegedly robbed some security guards the previous day, and the police of their firearms and two and their two-way radios. And he, he also realized that the situation was going to even get worse. So he learned from intelligence that the media and the media uh, that, that some of the mine workers had uh, hit their firearms underneath their blankets, and surely. From there, he, he foresaw that there were going to be a loss of, a loss of a life, and then he, he preferred for the union leadership to take a stand and speak to these people, because at that time, his, his plans were not working. Mm-hmm. Now, earlier this week, two police officers who were the copy on the 16th of August were reported to have uh, committed suicide. How far are police with investigations into that? That was revealed on Tuesday uh, by National Police Commissioner Yapiera, and there were also reports that there were further attempts of suicide uh, 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 by some of the police officials who were there in Marigana. And that was when Louis Gumbi 
uh, representing the families of those police who died and also one other officer who was uh, uh, seriously injured during the arrest there put it to her that uh, most of the police who were there at the time were suffering from depression and uh, post-traumatic stress. And he also stressed that uh, low-ranking police officers, including uh, the constables, had high levels of stress and often turned to alcohol. But then uh, about the investigations, uh, so far it's not clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, to how far they are, oh. and I can all I can I can check that um, mm-hmm. uh, with the Northwest Police yes. on that. All right, thank you so much, uh, Spiwem Kize, our reporter on the scene. Now, so the, South, the South African government plans to issue a dispute resolution over the EU's move to ban citrus fruit from South Africa. This follows reports that the European Union has proposed the ban on South Africa's citrus products, fearing the spread of a plant disease called citrus black spot. Citrus, uh, citrus exports inject well over 65 billion rand into the local economy. For more on this, we join on the line by Katlejo Nyoni, our reporter on the scene. Katlejo, uh, good afternoon to you, and briefly tell us about this proposed ban. Good afternoon to you. Well, what you understand, the European Union had intercepted various cases of this bacteria known as the citrus black spot, which affect various citrus, you know, the main one being oranges. Now, the United, the European Union has decided, or is rather proposing, that should more of such cases be discovered within the citrus that is being exported from South African uh, citrus farms, then they will have no choice but to issue a ban, meaning South African citrus farmers will no longer be able to trade with the European Union and the UK, which are the biggest markets for such citrus because over 60% of their citrus consumption comes from South Africa. What do we know about the citrus black spot and are there any health risks associated with it? What we know from speaking to farmers uh, in this industry, citrus black spot poses no health risks after after being consumed by human beings. It poses no health risks and it cannot also be transferred from a fruit to a tree, meaning its mutation could be stopped, uh, only rest with the fruit. It cannot mutate any further. However, it has been present in the country since 1929. Farmers, of course, have ways of spraying and making sure that it's maintained, it's controlled. Now, just briefly in Katleho, has there been any reaction by the local industry? There has been uh, some reaction. Farmers are concerned that this will cripple not only their industry, but the economy in the long run, where other sectors that contribute towards the agricultural sector of citrus farming could be affected. We're looking at transportation, the factories within some of these farms where there's laborers that are employed to pack the oranges, to pack the citrus, and make sure that it's distributed to nations abroad. And that uh, was our reporter on the scene, Katlejo Nyoni. Bring the time now, almost uh, 12.59. Our top stories, the South African Clothing and Textile Workers Union, Saktu, is allowed, has allocated 25 million rand for youth development. Uh, the coordinator of the office of the Saktu General, General Secretary, Fahmi Ibrahim. It was the infrastructure internally to make sure that the words could spread within the Saktu community and through the Saktu community, through the broader community as well. And the Yachesfontein community in the Southern Free State has taken De Beers and the Department of Minerals to the Bloemfontein High Court. We basically want the interdict prohibiting them from proceeding with mining operations, prospecting operations and any related activities without the necessary legal authority under the Minerals and Petroleum Resources Development Acts. And that's where we've got to leave it. It is exactly one o'clock. It's time for the news. Thank you so much for your listening to the radio.